Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Off in chapter 15, and we are somewhere around verse 25. And uh, why don't we open in prayer, and uh, we can take it from there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have spoken to us, Father. You're here tonight, Father, and you have a message for us. I pray that uh, you would uh, continue just to pour out your spirit, Father, upon this congregation. And don't give up on us, Father. (laughs) Please don't give up on us. And uh, sometimes we're slow and we're hard of hearing. Sometimes things are difficult, Father, in our lives to uh, process all the things that you're speaking to us. But I pray that uh, we would continue, Father, to press on to hear your voice, that we would press on, Father, to uh, overcome some of the difficulties that we may be facing in our life. I thank you, Father, that you uh, are reaching out to us. I pray that we would take that hand, Father, and that you would strengthen us to get through each and every single day. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We've been looking at the uh, nation of Israel, and we've been watching, if you would, this is really reading as a history uh, lesson more than anything else as we're going through this text. And we're starting to see, as we said, this is a, a, a lineage of kings. There's, there's kings, and, and we've watched Israel as a nation when it was strong and powerful underneath King David. And then it went to Solomon, and Solomon built the temples. He built everything up, and we said that silver was as the rocks of the ground. Everything was made out of gold, and Israel was just doing great. And then we watched after Solomon. Solomon gave it over to his son, Rehoboam. And then the people revolted against Rehoboam and said, you're not going to make us work and do all these projects like you did with your dad and and building everything. We're sick and tired of construction projects. Give us a break and... Rehoboam said, no, no break. And we watched, if you would, the nation of Israel split in half. A civil war, and it it broke in half. It became now Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Two separate nations, two separate kings. And we've been watching now uh, these kings as we're starting to watch things start to happen. And if you were with us last week, we saw how it went to King Asa. And as King Asa was there... He was a great king. He did a lot of good things, and yet he also did some very foolish things. And he was the king down to the south after the Civil War, two warring factions, if you would. And down to the south, they had the temple. They had God. They were doing things right down to the south as much as possible because God was working with them. And now we're going to look at the north a little bit. And during the same phase, these people that broke off in rebellion are now going to go through a series of kings. And each one of these kings, we're going to find out, are going to do worse and worse and worse. It's kind of hard to redeem a good message out of this because there's a lot of negative things that are being said here. But uh, we want to pull at this and find out what's going on, and it's going to seem kind of tedious to work through a bunch of names, but just bear with it and just understand we're going to go through about three different kings' history, so... Think of that as almost being three presidents, if you would. And we're trying to look at some things. Let's pick up at verse 25 of chapter 15 where we left off. And it says, Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel. So Jeroboam was the first guy to break off to the north. And now his son is in place. He's going to become king over Israel, the northern part. And it's going to give you the reference in which time that happened. It says, In the second year of Asa, king of Judah... He reigned over Israel two years, not a long term of office, if you would. And it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father in the sin which he made Israel sin. Now, we're going to hear that phrase over and over and over and over again. And it's almost as if God's never going to get over this one issue of what Jeroboam, his father, did. God wanted Jeroboam, we said, to split the north away. God was upset with the things that was happening through Solomon. Solomon and his thousand wives or 
700 wives and 300 concubines. He had tons of women. The women took his heart away, brought idolatry into the nation. And God has an issue with Solomon for the wisest man in the world. And he tells Jeroboam, he says, Jeroboam ripped the country in half. A prophet came to him and told him to do that. This Ahijah guy. And, uh, and yet, what God told him to do, he took it a few steps further. And he says, well, I'm going to not only break away, but I'm going to create, if you would, my own false religion in order to control the people. And we said the sins of Jeroboam. And whenever you see this phrase, it's referring to these golden calves. He set up one in Dan and then one down to the south. And uh, he's saying, now you guys, you worship these golden calves, which is bringing in idolatry into the nation of Israel. And God says, I didn't tell you to start all this stuff. And God throws a conniption. And he says, you're going to lose your kingdom for this. And your son's going to lose it. And it's not going to happen. You need to get rid of these golden calves. God hated these things. And no matter how good or bad they, any king would be from this point forward, they kept these stupid golden calves. God just says, get rid of these things. And yet it's going to say, here his son takes over for Jeroboam, this guy Nadab. And it says, verse 26, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father in his sin, meaning these golden calves, which he made Israel to sin. And so here's this, Son, he's there for two for two years, and then this guy, uh, Basha, Baasha, Basha, I would just say, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar. Now it's not the same Ahijah, the prophet. It's going to say of the house of Issachar, because that other Ahijah was from he was a Shilonite, same name. But in case any of you guys caught that, there is a difference. But this guy Basha comes up. Uh, and he conspired against him. So here's this guy. He's two years in office. And we're going to see this guy, Basha, come up. And he's going to say, I'm going to kill this guy. And Basha struck him down in Gibeon, er, Gibbethon, sorry, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Gibbethon. So Basha killed him in the third year of King uh, Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it came about, as soon as he was king, he struck down all the household of Jeroboam, right? Which was this guy's father, the original guy, which was the prophecy that was going to be given to Jeroboam because of his sin, that none of his descendants would live. And he did not leave to Jeroboam any persons alive until he had destroyed them. And he did this, it's interesting enough, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant, Ahijah the Shilonite. So, see, the Ahijah the Shilonite was the prophet, and this is just another Ahijah's son that comes up, and he's going to execute everybody in the house. So it's a hostile takeover, if you would. You execute everybody. And he did it, and because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, which he made Israel sin, because of his provocation with which he provoked the Lord God to Israel to anger. And then it ends with this passage. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So if you would, we're seeing the history. It goes from Jeroboam to Nadab, and now this guy Basha has got to take over. And if you were with us last week, we saw one of the battles where Basha came up and attacked the guy to the south. And we see that there's more information sometimes given in the book of Chronicles. But it's a simple story. You're watching, uh, uh, take it for what it's worth. Here's a king. He rebelled against God. God wanted him to, but he put these golden calves up here, which is not what God wanted him to do. God says, don't do that. You're not going to make it prophet comes up and prophesies to this guy jeroboam and says you're going to die and all your family's going to be wiped out god is not pleased with you guy basha rises up and executes everybody in his family you have to look at that now i don't know if god wanted it's kind of a little unclear there did god raise up this guy basha or was he just some rebel that decided to take the throne and it doesn't really matter. The end result is what the Lord said it was going to be, that he was going to get wiped out. And you're seeing that 
If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. You lay down with the dogs, you get up with the fleas, right? That's what, that's what the old saying is. And you go, Jeroboam, you played with fire, you're going to get burned. You're messing around in sin, it's going to cost you. And I don't know if God's running around executing people, but you're definitely watching here where the guy only gets to be king for two years. This is Jeroboam's son. And all of him, his brothers, his whole household has got to get slaughtered. And you're watching it so that at least this guy is now susceptible to the hand of the sword to come in and to destroy his household. And when we walk in sin, we choose sin, choose to walk away from the Lord, whether however you want to cut it, you're opening up that door for terror to come in and to destroy you. God loves you. He wants to protect you. He's offering you a plan and a path, and He's saying, I want to be there for you. When you turn your back on God, it's not that necessarily God comes after you, and it could read that way, especially in the Old Testament, but here... The idea is that now anybody can come up and slice you. You're losing the protection, the hand of the Lord. And it's strange on how so many of us, when we turn our backs on God, we said, God, I don't need you. And God says, fine, you're on your own. And it's a scary place to be on your own. And we need to say, Lord, I don't want to be on my own. I want you in my life. And you're just watching this chain of events of things that are happening. Let's continue with this. And it says there was war, verse 32. There was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. We discussed some of the battles last week. And in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel at Tizra. And he reigned 24 years. Basha's going to have a little bit longer of a chain in office here. But nevertheless, it says in verse 34... And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of Jeroboam and and his sin, which he made Israel to sin. So you're watching, if you would, he's going to keep those golden calves, a false religion, idolatry in the land. So chapter 16, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jehu. guy we don't know, uh, but this Jehu is the son of Hananiah, Hananiah, uh, against Basha. So if you think of this, if you guys were keen, if you remember last week's message, uh, Hananiah was the guy that came up and was rebuking Asa last week. Asa was the king to the south. Asa was the one that came up and uh, smote a million Ethiopians. He sent them fleeing. And uh, Jehu comes up. No, I'm sorry, um, Hananiah comes up to Asa and says, you guys watch it. You watch your step. You're doing really good. But this guy Hananiah comes up to the king to the south and says, you know, the, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro. Uh, for the, He's looking for someone whose heart is completely after him that he may continue to strengthen him. And that was the word that was saying, Asa, continue to watch your back and continue to serve the Lord. And we watched last week where Asa failed to do that. He started to get tricky. He started to get crafty. He was starting to do things of his own devices because he thought he was so good. But now it's interesting, though. Here's uh, Hananiah. He's sitting down there rebuking Asa to the south. And now, if you would, at the same time, Hananiah's son is going up to, right, the king of the north. And he's got to go up and rebuke them. So you got what? You got a father-son tag team going on here. Father's down there, you know, rebuking the king to the south. Son's going up there. And he's got to go up there and rebuke this guy, uh, Basha. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jehu. And there's got to be another Jehu who's got to be king, which is not this Jehu. Uh, Jehu just means uh, Yahweh is he. Meaning, hey. Out of all the gods that you worship, the one God that you're looking for is this guy named uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, and uh, the one true God of Israel. That's what you're looking for when you're serving all these false gods. The one you want is the true God. But so Jehu, generic name, the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, uh, against Basha, saying, and here's his word. He says, Inasmuch as I exalted you from the dust and made you leader over my people Israel. So you're seeing God's hand in this to a point. 
And you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. So he's saying, look, you're in office, you got the opportunity, but you're still going to do the same mistake over again. You're provoking God. He says, verse 3, Behold, I will consume Basha in his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Anyone of Basha who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone, of his, uh, and anyone who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. So you're not going to get a decent burial. And then it says, now the rest of the acts of Basha and what he did in his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles uh, of the kings of Israel? And Basha slept with his fathers and was buried in Tizra. And Elha, his son, became king in his place. Moreover, the word of the Lord through the prophet Jehu, the son of Hananiah, also came against Basha and his household, both because of all the evil which he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of his hands and being like the house of Jeroboam and because he struck it. So God's now pretty upset. He's looking at the nation of Israel. Basha's now there and I think God is saying, look, Basha, you went in there and you slaughtered this whole household. You did this because this whole household, the household of Jeroboam, think of this, they fell into sin. They worshiped the golden calf. You killed them for this purpose. Now, Basha, are you smart enough to do something different than what they did? That's only a fool that is going to turn around and say, well, look at what my predecessor did. He fell on a sword. He got killed. He turned around and played the fool. Now, am I that stupid to turn around and pick up the same fire and play with it again and repeat the sins? And Basha is going to repeat the same thing. And God says, well, not only are you doing the same things that he was, but now you're just a murderer and you slaughtered the whole household. I don't have time for this, God says. You got the same thing coming to you. Same action, same results, destruction. So now we see this guy's uh, son taking over, uh, Elah. says, verse 8, In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, which is the time reference, so we've got one king to the south, this guy Asa is still running along, we're going to go through three kings while he's king. But it's telling you, in his 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, became king over Israel at Tizra and reigned two years. He's going to have a short term in office as well. And his servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariot, so he's one of his military officers underneath his command, over uh, half of his chariots, he conspired against him. Now, uh, he was at Tizra drinking himself drunk in the house of uh, Azura. So here, this guy thinks he's king. He's got nothing to worry about. He's going to take over. This guy, Elah. And here he is. He's sitting down there getting drunk. And when he's drunk, he's not aware of what's going on. He's in the house of his buddy, Azura, who was over the household of Tizra, probably a leader of the city. And then Zimri went in and struck him and put him to death in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and became king in his place. And it came about when he became king, as soon as he sat on his throne, that he killed all the household of Basha. So you're watching one conspiracy take over another conspiracy to take over everyone and slaughter everything, and you're seeing an ugly mess. He did not leave a single male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Basha through Jehu the prophet. So there's a prophet speaking again, saying, look, we're tired of this. He didn't like it. And now he's saying, I'll fulfill this prophecy and I'll wipe everyone out. For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah, his son, which they sinned in which they made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So then we go over to verse 15. 
It says now here, Zimri's problems. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days in Tizra. That's a long reign. So be fruitful, multiply, and may your days be prolonged. Is not happening. Seven days in Tizra. Now the people were camped uh, against the Gibeonathon, uh, which belonged to the Philistines. And the people who were camped heard of it and said, Zimri has conspired and has also struck down the king. Therefore, so Israel starting to rise up and says, hey, you just don't go up and slaughter our king like that. They're not going to put up with this. Therefore, all Israel made Omri uh, commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then uh, Omri and all Israel with him uh, went up from Gibbethon and they besieged Tizra. And it came about when Zimri saw that the city was taken, and this is how he's going to die, that he goes into the citadel, a big tower of the king's house, and he burned the king's house over him with fire and died. So Zimri, as much as he went up and slaughtered everybody, he's going to end up committing suicide, basically. He's putting himself in the house and saying, I'm not going down like this. And he set the house on fire over him and killed everybody in it and died. And the, uh, because of his sins, which he sinned, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he did, making Israel sin. So the guy wasn't bringing in true reform. He was just keeping the status quo and he just wanted to be president for the day. And he wanted power. He was seeking the the position of king, but he wasn't going to be the king of Israel that was going to lead people to righteousness. And so you see the phrase again, verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and his conspiracy, which he carried out, are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the kings of Israel? says verse 21 then the people of israel were divided into two parts half of the people followed uh, tibni the uh, son of ginath whoever he is he shows up on the scene and he thinks he's going to take over the throne to make him king the other followed omri uh, but the people who followed uh, omri uh, prevailed over the people who followed tibni and the sons of ginath and tibni died and omni became omri became king So it's pathetic. You're watching Israel for all intents and purposes. If I've lost you completely, you're watching one king after another king after another king do stupider and stupider things, get a shorter and shorter term in office. And now, if you would, you've watched the north, and this is what we're looking at. Now even the north is going to be divided itself again. So you're watching division, division, division. And uh, it's just the, the fruit that they're bearing is that they're ripping each other apart, and there's no strengthen their kingdom while it's interesting when you go to chronicles and you go to watch the kings in 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 the book of chronicles down to the south at least there's one king that begets another king that begets another king so it's the son that sits on the throne and a son that sits on the throne and they're all david's sons king david's sons are all sitting on the throne to the south but to the north it's any butcherer gets the throne whoever can slaughter and win the masses and the army together. And it's a sad, pathetic thing where you're watching the the point that you want to grab is up north. These guys are into idolatry and they can't even keep a king. A king can't even put his own son on the throne without being slaughtered. And it's, it's being run by the sword. They don't have God. That's your option. Either you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to live by the sword. And so you want to sit down and says down to the south, they had their mistakes but they kept a king on the throne and saying, this is the son, the grandson, the great son, the great, 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 great grandson. They're all marching in a row. But up north, it's a pathetic example. You're just going, this country doesn't stand a chance when leadership is falling apart this way. And so uh, I guess we pick up uh, in verse 23. It says, in the uh, 31st year of Asa king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned 12 years. He reigned six years at Tizra. And the, he is the one that, that, that bought the hill uh, Samaria, uh, Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he built on the hill and named the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. So we're going to see that Samaria is now going to become the capital. So Omri is going to get the claim to fame for putting the capital in place to the north and calling it Samaria, which all the kings will rule from this point forward. 
and Samaria was a lush, precious piece of property. And uh, that's his claim to fame. And Omri did evil, it says, verse 25, did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wicked, uh, more wickedly than all who were before him. So you see this? It's getting progressively worse. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sins, which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God to Israel with their idols. Once again, it's repeated. Why? Now, the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did in his might, which he showed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So you can read and do some more history there, but uh, we don't have that book. This is the best book we got on these kings. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, his son, became king in his place. So if you would, we've been racing. I want to get through these chain of commands until we get into Ahab. Ahab, like the guy that's in Moby Dick, right? That was Ahab, king, Captain Ahab, right? And uh, here's King Ahab. And, uh, and we're going to reside in Ahab for a while. We're going to see the next 10 chapters uh, or so are going to deal with Ahab. And we're going to see that he has a wicked wife. And it says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. He's going to have a long stay in office and he's going to be very corrupt. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So it's getting progressively worse. And this is a statement of the times, if you would. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So it's like, that's just nothing. His, his, his father did stuff. Jer- Jeroboam sinned. That's nothing. That's kid stuff, he's saying. I'm a real criminal, right? came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he married Jezebel our famous character. She's the epitome of all that is wicked. And, uh, and he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, king of the Sidians, which Sidian was the country to the north up around Lebanon today. And he went to serve Baal, totally false god, and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah, which was the female goddess of Baal, both kind of a phallic symbol, if you would. Thus, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So Ahab is going to be the wicked king. In this wicked king, we're going to expand on his life and the things that happened and what happens with Jezebel for 10 chapters. There's a lot of exciting things that we're going to get into. And uh, we want to race to kind of get to this point. But we're starting to see, though, that it was a rapid progression of events that left him to this place, that their hearts were becoming hardened. They didn't care anymore about whether or not it was right or wrong to sin. These are people that were enjoying sin. They knew, they knew what God wanted them to do, but they turned their back on God and said, we'll do whatever we want to do. And Ahab is going to pursue with a vengeance sin. And we're going to see the mighty Elijah rise up, Elisha, his descendant, rise up. They're going to come against this Jezebel from the Sidians, if you would, these uh, people that are up there that worshipped Baal. And we talked about what the worship of Baal was a couple weeks ago. And we said that that's what it was. It was a, a, a sexual orgy is what it was. They were, they were worshiping sex and pleasure. And they, they figured if they could go up to the groves and fornicate and have this huge orgy, then this would stimulate the gods to bring forth the rain. And, plus, and so the, the worship of Baal was fertility or, or, or having the land fertile. So they would bring forth rain and you get a good crop and hence you could eat, which was a important thing back in the day. But each time we're watching this, we're seeing some things that are starting to happen. 
And just to pick this out and to say, well, how are we going to make a sermon out of this? It's kind of ugly. You're just watching people sin with a vengeance. And, and the, the beautiful part of it is, is at least you can say that God is trying to speak to the people. Whether you caught that in between it, there's a prophet that's sent, another prophet that's sent, another prophet that's sent. I like that. Here you're watching hideous sin with a nation that's turning its back from God. And the idea is that God is trying to get across a message to say, stop, stop, don't do this. And so many times people sit down and they blame God for all their problems. They go, you know, where's God in this? And how can God do that? God, where were you when this was going on? And the truth of the matter is, is God speaks volumes. He's speaking volumes today. You're watching miracles happen. You're watching healings taking place. You're just going to sit in church for a little bit and come to any Wednesday night and you're going to see the power of God, you know, working through our our communion services. We've seen God do tremendous things here in our little church, just our little church. If you go all over the place, God's alive and well. He's speaking volumes. And the thing is, 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 is that people don't want to listen to what God is saying. They're deliberately turning their back on God when God is saying, I would love to give you a way out of your problems. We follow the path of our sin. We pursue our sin. Sin cripples us, breaks our legs and destroys us. And God is saying, please don't do this. Let me, I'll send you a prophet. I'll send you a way out. I'll give you an avenue. I'm speaking to you and I want you to not do this. Be careful of the things that are in front of you. And yet so many times, people turn their back on it. They don't quite figure out what to... God has spoken clearly to this generation just look at the Mel Gibson movie I don't know what a, what a powerful testimony it's right there in black and white in video for you or whatever you know on the cinema you can sit down and see a picture and go wow how could anybody reject such love God is sending love he's taking the whipping for us but God has spoken many times through the church many times through family and friends many times through other people many times just through his word God is always trying to crack into your life and to speak to you. And I, I really think that's the, the view of where God is. He's looking at, at the world falling apart. And God's not going, wow, this thing's going to trash, man. I got to, you know, call it the end and get rid of this thing. God, he, he's up in heaven. He's, he's planning. He's scheming. He's saying, what else can I do to get my message across? And, and he, he provides another witness, another testimony, and he's trying to speak to you. And, and then all we do is go, ah, we don't want it. I like this. Turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter uh, 1, verse 1, opening few verses. And you get that same flavor that's brought out in Hebrews. Titus, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. And this is how Hebrews is starting out. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers um, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. He says, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So I like that. God, he spoke long ago. He spoke many times, many different ways, trying to get his message across. And the final message of God, he's like, look, this is it. I'm going to give you the ultimate message. I'm going to send my son himself. He's going to walk amongst you. He's going to feel your pain, understand the things that you're going through, and demonstrate to you the power of the Holy Spirit by going to the cross, taking on all the hatred of the world, and yet prevailing over that by the power of the Spirit and demonstrating that He's resurrected, showing that if you trust in God, which is the only message God's ever wanted to get across, it says, trust in me and you'll do fine. Turn your back on me and you got problems. You're going to be out on your own. 
you're going to be left out there fighting the elements, fighting the demonic forces. Do you want to go out and face all those things all by yourself? Or would you rather sit down and say, Lord, I need your protection. I need your love. I need you now today more than ever. God, God is speaking as, as the nation was, was turning to idolatry. Turn to Hosea. Small minor prophet there, if you can find Daniel. Hosea chapter 8. If you can find Daniel, it's a few books back from Matthew in there. And here he's speaking specifically to Samaria. And, and you get a viewpoint of God as he's looking to the north, to Samaria, for their golden calves. He says, put the trumpet to your lips. Like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord. Why? Why is there problems that are assaulting it? Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. They knew better. They, they walked against God. There was a rebellion in the camp. They cried out to me, Oh my God, we of Israel know thee. And God's like, Israel's rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me, says God. They have appointed princes, but I did not know it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves, that they may, that they may be cut off. And here's God. He's saying, He, God, has rejected your calf, O Samaria, saying, My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? What a stinging statement. They're incapable of innocence. Do you hear that? Innocence is when I didn't know. I was ignorant. Poor little pure me. I'm a good old boy. And did you hear this in verse 3? They cry out to me. This is God saying that, you know, these people down in Samaria, he's watching everything going on in Israel to the north. He's watching all the things happening. And he's seen all the little prayer meetings that are going on over in Israel. They must have had prayer. And all these people are raising up their hands and they're saying, oh, we worship the true God. We're God's chosen people. And yet God's saying, no, you're not. You think, do you see the level of deception? You think you're God's chosen people? You think you are walking with integrity when, excuse me, <coughs> you got the golden calf here? Which one are you worshiping? Oh, oh, we're worshiping both. And if we have a problem, we'll go to Jehovah for this thing and we'll go to Baal for that thing and, and we'll just keep God in our lives and we're not going to be pure there. And God's looking at it and He's saying, I'm sorry, that's not the way it's going to work. He says, they cried out to me, my God, we, we of Israel know thee. We know you, God. Yeah, you, you know of him, but you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him because you're not obedient. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have appointed princes, uh, but I did not know it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. He has rejected your calf, O Samaria, saying, My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? You're not innocent. You're not dumb. You're accountable because you know better. For from Israel is even this. A craftsman made it, so it is not God. You're worshiping this pile of gold over here. Some craftsman put it together and you're calling that God? Surely the calf of Samaria will be broken to pieces. In the famous verse, For they sow the wind, but they reap the whirlwind. What a statement. You know what? You're, you're asking for a little bit of trouble, but you're going to get a big heap of trouble coming at you. God's spoken. You know better. And when you know better, and you want to continue to play a game with God, you're setting yourself up for a spanking from God. And God says, I'm sorry, you're no longer without an excuse. You're incapable of being innocent. You know what the difference is. You know what's going to happen in, in your life. And you go, ah, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Ignorance is bliss. 
ignorance is a justifiable excuse before God. I didn't know. If you're to stand before God on Judgment Day, and if you could really sit down and say, God, I didn't know, God says, I understand. But when you know to whom much is given, much is required. And I'm sorry, the psalmist is going to tell you that no one has an excuse before God because we have nature itself. All you have to do is look at the trees, look at the stars, look at heaven. We went through this in Romans. God's going to say, excuse me, where do you think these things came from? You're not ignorant. You don't have uh, uh, ignorance as an excuse. You should figure out. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at nature around you and says, Lord, I, I know. And the truth of the matter is for you and I or anyone that we can speak to, you just have to look right at them. It's in their heart. They know. I think we're reading uh, Ecclesiastes. And I like it in Ecclesiastes. Solomon turns around and he says, Eternity is in the heart of man. Everyone has this little burning, itching thing that says, I know there's a God out there and I know I've got to worship Him. But, you know, if you're to be truly ignorant and, and innocent, well, that, that's one thing you could do. But God's not going to accept that from anybody because they're going to say, I know. And you know what? God comes up and He tells each one of us and He says, you know you need me. We all had that. If you can think back into your B.C. days before Jesus Christ was in your life, you can remember the haunting little voice that was there. And you're saying, nah. And God would come up. He'd tap you on the shoulder. He says, Dave, you need me. You've got to start living for me. And I'm telling you, I did it 10, 15, 20 times. I could tell you clearly. And I said, nah, not now. Not now. I, I know what's out there. I know what's the right thing. to shut up. Every time you do that, you're hardening your heart. And God says, you can't continue to do that. Until one point, I guess I get to this point in my life where I break down and I says, Lord, I know it's you. And I know I need to start doing this. And i got to start facing the music and do the right thing. And God looks at it and he says, you know what? If you sow to the wind, right? You're, you're sowing, planting. You're just ah, throwing things. And I love Solomon once again. He says, you know, foolishness is chasing after the wind. You know, it's vanity of all vanities when you're rejecting the knowledge of the Lord. You ever think of a guy, you think of the little moron running down the street trying to chase the wind. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it. Oh, oh, where is it? Where is it? Right? You go, what a, what a dork, you know. He's, he's running around. Oh, I want to catch the wind. Yeah, and nobody would be that dumb. And yet he's saying it's vanity of vanities. You're chasing the wind. You're sowing to the wind. You're, you're like a, a, a nut. And if you think you're going to do that and get away with it, you're reaping the whirlwind, the tornado that is coming after you to destroy you because you're playing with fire you play with fire you're going to get burned and it's a simple simple message where god says i'm speaking to you don't reject that in israel the the north has turned around and says "Ah, ah, i know jeroboam we just slaughtered his whole house look there's blood everywhere he turned around to worship the golden calf and let's do the same thing all over again And then all of a sudden his son, let's do the same thing. And then his son, let's do the same thing. And his son, let's do the same. Hey, you think his sons are bad? I'm going to outdo grandpa. I'm going to really put on a big shingy and sin. And you want to go, dude, like you're crazy? How can you be that dumb? Go back and we got two more verses to finish up in, in, in chapter 16. And this just blows my mind. When you read, uh, 1 Kings, Chapter 16. And this is the epitome of all just of craziness. Verse 33. And Ahab also made the Asherah, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And sorry, just verse 34. It says, In his days, this guy, Hail. Hallel, whatever, H-I-E-L, Hail, the Bethlehite, he built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of uh, Abram, his firstborn, and he set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub. I don't know. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, if this isn't the saddest picture you could ever see, that here they are, they're saying, hey, let's go rebuild Jericho. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Jericho, Jericho was the capstone of the whole promised land when they were going in to rip it apart. God says, I'm giving you the promised land. There are seven nations in there. They're all greater and stronger than you. The first thing they do is when they go into the promised land, they see this massive fortified city. And the Mideast is famous for building walls. They love to build walls. They isolate themselves into this thing. Napoleon himself went into the Mideast, and he couldn't crack any of these huge walled cities. They were masters at defending themselves behind walls. They could just sit up there and go, no, 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 you can't touch me. I got this wall. You can sit there all day long. We can stay where we're at. You're never going to conquer this city. You're not going to be able to rip down this wall. And so the, the Jews, a bunch of brickmakers, right? They're coming in. They see this huge walled city. And they're going, how are we ever going to crack this nut? How are we ever going to take over this city if we're going to go into the promised land? So God goes up to Joshua, the leader at the time, and he says, this is what you're going to do. I want you to take all the priests and all the men, and you're going to march around the city every day for seven days. And you're going to sit down on the seventh day. You're going to march around it seven times. And that is what you're going to do is you get over to this thing. You're going to go, all of you are going to sit down. The priests are going to all sit down and scream. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> I want everyone to shout. And as everyone's sitting there shouting, the walls are going to come tumbling down. So here they come. They march around the city. They do it again. Okay, this is the craziest idea I've ever heard. And all of a sudden, they all shout. They scream. And the walls of Jericho, impenetrable, come crashing to the ground. God ripped those city apart. And then everyone goes in there, slaughters everybody. They save Rahab the harlot, and everybody's happy. This is a great old thing. And everyone's going, wow, what a way to fight. If we use God, we can crack these stones to pieces. Nothing stands in our way. And Joshua, having the big old battle, he's got the big victory, and he's now going to turn around and says, look, man, anybody who's stupid enough to rebuild this city, duh, Do we all know that God doesn't want this city? Did we just see God do a great work? And if anybody would dare be dumb enough to try and reverse the process of God, here's a prophecy. He's going to take his oldest boy is going to die when they build the, I don't know, the walls or the foundation. The youngest boy is going to die when he turns around and he's going to uh, hang the gates to the city. So 500 years go by. And now what are you watching? You're watching people. And this is the sad commentary. They're reversing the work of God, which he had established. They're now going to try to go back to do everything in the flesh. That's a, that's a picture of an, of an itself. To sit down and say, how stupid of man to go and try and rebuild what God has destroyed. That's crazy. That's insane. And yet so many people, God has spoken to them. God has given them a great victory and they go right back to it. And at that point, God says, man, you're making me really sick. I'm really, now at that point, God's really ticked. He's tweaked. He's angry. He's he's going, what do I have to do? I I did a huge miracle, and now you're trying to rebuild the city that I destroyed. And notice a couple things. This guy's stubborn. Did he know what the prophecy was? Maybe when his firstborn died, as he's saying, come on, sons, we've got a construction project to do over here. Let's rebuild this city. And uh, the oldest boy's keeled over and died. You know, had a heart attack right in construction. I wonder why that was. Was he stubborn enough to say, I'll pay the price and do whatever it takes because I will build this city. Even if it says, let's hang those gates. And he watches his youngest son keel over and die. Sometimes people, they know what the cost of sin is. And they say, I'll pay the price. I want sin. I don't care. I know that I'm going to, you know, suffer for this. But I'd rather suffer for it and, and have it than not have it. Search your hearts and your minds. I'm sure you can think of a few people that have made that decision. It's sad. It's sad when God has been trying to speak and to uplift and to work through you and I in order to edify us, to build us up and to, to work through us. God wants to and he's trying to say, look, man, everything I'm doing is for your edification, is to build you up. 
God wants to build up us. And yet we turn around and says we'd rather build the walls. We'd rather build up something else. We'd rather build up the things that God has destroyed. Would it be sad enough to say, you know, to be a born-again Christian, you have to give your life over to Jesus Christ. You take your life and you say, Lord, here's my life. And God comes in. He kills the old man. You're born again. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're now a new man. And what do we really try to do for the rest of our lives? We try and resurrect the old man, don't we? We try and say, Lord, I'm not giving up. And Lord, I want that old man back. Lord, I want to continue to pursue sin. And I I do. I've seen many people that knew what it was to have a crucified life and the victory of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And then somehow or another they get bored with it. They go through a time of trials and testing and they go back to the old way like a dog returning to its vomit. And And I look at that and I go, Lord, I don't want to be there. Lord, Lord, and and the Lord's speaking to everyone. He's never done speaking to anyone until we're dead. And I think we'll get into that this Sunday on the unforgivable sin. And what that is, is rejection of the Holy Spirit. But so long as we're alive and kicking, so long as the Lord's speaking to us and tapping us on the shoulder, so long as we have an ounce of conviction in our lives and the Lord's saying, stop, 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 stop. There's hope for us. And the idea is that we receive that and we go, Lord, I want to make that change. I don't want to continue like this. And the Lord's saying, please don't continue down this path. He loves us. He cares for us. And he wants us to be people that are going to be living and serving for him. And we see Ahab come onto the scene and he's laughing at God. And he goes, ah, that that sin of, of Jeroboam, that's kid stuff. I'm going to really sin. Oh, you know what? You know, God, Jehovah, this will really tweak them. I'm going to go get this girl Jezebel and her dad's up there and these people are all of Baal and worship Baal. And you know what? We're going to bring even more Baal worship right down here. <laughs> We're going to have a big party. We're going to go up and fornicate. We're going to have orgies. Come on down and hang out with us. It's party central. And Ahab is a strange character because he knows. He's doing it deliberately. There's this lack of innocence in him as we're going to watch it start to unfold in front of us. And you go, Ahab, 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 you're so wrong. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless. God bless.